Hallelujah. He is great. Hallelujah. Father, we release our faith now. This day, as we begin a time in the Word, we submit ourselves to the saturation of the Holy Ghost right now. We ask, according to your Word, you baptize us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Lord, there be a pouring into our spirit, Lord, the revelation of the character of the Father's love, the authority of the risen Savior in Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Ghost working within us. We thank you, Lord. We open our hearts to receive it all in the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's go to, to the epistle of Jude once again. I'll, that's been my starting point. All week. Verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. So our uh, primary thought here is making a difference, that our lives make a difference in the lives of someone else. That we make a difference in a perverted, corrupt, and fallen world, regardless of how evil it is around us. That's irrelevant. The power of God's greater. Now, either we either we believe that or we don't. What you actually do believe truly will determine how you handle yourself. If you really believe Psalm ninety-one, how many of you believe Psalm ninety-one? Might say, brother, I believe all the Bible, so I have to believe that too. Well, then when you have these uh, stoked fears about a virus wiping you out. I believe Psalm 91, so I'm not changing what God has convicted me by His Word in terms of how I should live my life. Simple as that. Simple as that. <laughs> well, in the midst of the evil, which the, the, the beginning of the epistle of Jude lays out, he goes on to the exhort, exhortation that you need to stay strong. So as more is going on around you, negative or evil in the world, you can enter into complaining along with everybody else, or you can strengthen yourself in the Holy Ghost and keep yourself in love and make an even greater difference because light shines brighter in the midst of great darkness. You know, if it's a dark night and there's no stars shining and all that and there's a candle being held by someone that'll stand out you'll see that far away oh there's light up there jesus came to this world in the flesh in a very 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 dark time there was no prophetic word for 400 years going back to malachi now it's beginning to be released through john the baptist and his ministry that light shone bright in the midst of all that darkness. So for us, the, the degree of darkness is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because as we have the light of Christ in us, we'll shine bright. And the darker it is in the hearts and lives of men, the greater they are, the greater the uh, tendency for them to humble themselves and cry out to know the living God and be delivered from all this darkness. So that which we see as negative works for good. Always. It can work for good. So as people are oppressed and pressed down, the opportunity to share the gospel is greater than ever. We live in a great time. In terms of self, 2020 could be viewed as a bad year. But in terms of the kingdom, God is a great year. Because you have people bound to the spirit of fear. And it was the greatest time to witness, to share Jesus, to speak faith, to exhibit peace and love and joy. Because they know they don't have it. So we simply need to be led by the spirit whose windows cracking open and then pour it in. Build yourself up. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for something or having expectation that the compassion of Jesus is going to be poured into those to whom the window of their soul cracks open for a moment. I think I mentioned how 
as a pastor, I enjoy doing funerals because many times it's at that moment the window of the soul will crack open for a few minutes because that person sees their friend or relative in that casket and they begin, they can't escape the thought, that could be me. What's going to happen to me? And the window of the soul cracks open. And as they hear the gospel, many will get saved in that moment of time. And it's not some emotional thing. It's the fact that they're considering eternity. And when they walk out the door, if they don't hear the gospel, they may, that window may shut for a time again. I shared with you how with children, because children are very much uh, oriented to play. You don't have to teach them to play. They will play. Your boys know that uh, a rock becomes part of the, a rock and a stick become objects of play. Girls know that same rock. They will imagine that as a little baby they're going to nurture. The boys imagine fighting with it. You don't have to teach that. That's instinctive. <laughs> they have to learn to work. <laughs> But with kids, they can get so easily caught up in the natural, like with play, to where they don't think about spiritual things with much frequency. But they will, they, and they do at times. The wise parent watches. You don't, you're not cramming it down their throat and forcing them to make decisions. You make them do the right thing. And then Deuteronomy 6 says, when they ask, why are we doing all this, Dad? Then you share the testimony of Jesus. He delivered us out of Egypt. He delivered me out of darkness, out of a pit of hell. He delivered me from X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, too. Okay, now I understand, Dad. The way you impart values to your children is when they begin to ask why, that you're always looking to create the understanding of the reason why. And one of the things that's life-changing for us is when we embrace why we were created, we are here to be fruitful for the glory of God. And the fruitfulness of our life brings glory to Him. That's why you're on the planet. And when you understand that and embrace it, you live according to it. As a pastor, you have certain values. Those of you that are pastors, they need to be imparted. I tell my congregation, I don't mind you asking me why. I love to explain it. I love to tell you. And if I don't know the reason why I'm doing anything I'm doing, it's going to bother me a whole lot more. It's going to bother you. Because I live according to this. Always know why you do what you do. Everything. And you don't have to over-spiritualize it. I can still remember when my boys were young. We were paying a teenage boy in the church come cut her grass. It was so busy. And he could see in the window. I was like rolling around on the floor wrestling with him and stuff. And, and he was really tickled by that. I purpose in doing that. You know, boys, you have to meet, little boys, you have to meet them where they are with physical activity. Girls want someone to listen to them. Big girls still want someone to listen to. Guys, can you hear what I'm saying? Because it's very important in their values to be able to share their heart and be understood. So if you're not listening, don't wonder why you don't have a frustrated wife. Because that's important to a woman. Boys don't care to say what's in their heart or anyone to really hear them that much. I mean, eventually you learn to value that. They want to go out and play football, pound each other, whatever. <laughs> That's part of being a boy. So being a dad, I mean, I can go out and do stuff like that. Being a pastor and, and, and principal of our school, I'd play basketball with the, the boys and, and do those things. And maybe after about three years or so, they'd share their heart with me. So you wait, you wait, you wait. Difference between boys and girls. Somebody need to hear that. It has nothing to do with my message. Or if it does, I don't remember why Why I shared that. Who knows why I shared that? Does anyone want to help me out here? Know why you do what you do. Thank you. You're paying attention. Sometimes I just go off on things by spirit. And 
And I'm going to get reeled back into the main thoughts. My congregation knows to pay attention because sometimes I need them to help me out a little bit. Where was I? <laughs> where, where were we before there was a Holy Ghost eruption? See, I'll share a word for you pastors or you think you might be called to that. Something I've learned about pastoral ministry is the word for the whole congregation. There's a, there's a basic word for everyone to be fed. But then you have to have the flexibility to venture off where there is a specific word for everybody at the same time. And as I began to realize that, Lord, how do you do that? I can't do that. It's like, precisely, you can't do that. You just follow me. So sometimes it might appear like I'm going off here and there. That's by intent in following the Holy Ghost. That's just how I minister. I'll, I'll come back. If I don't remember where I was to come back to the main point for the whole everybody, then I'll ask, where was I? Know why you do what you do. <laughs> so you got to pay attention. You might need to help me out. Okay. Keep yourself in love. Keep a looking for the mercy of God for, for the window of men's souls to crack open. And then it says, in addition to looking for that in faith and in prayer, then you show them the character of God or the compassion of Jesus and you will make a difference in their life. You know, we... There's, there's a term used as knowing your life has significance. I think that's used in all your, your motivational stuff out there now. Oh, you want to have significance. You, know, you make a certain amount of money and then you want things to be significant in your life. That is a uh, human desire. We want our life to count. We want our life to matter. We want to make a difference. And for us as believers in the kingdom of God. And that is the byproduct, not so much of our effort, but the work of the Holy Ghost working in us. So we learn to yield to him and obey him, and he does that, and we get to experience the satisfaction of it, making a difference. Now, I shared with you uh, yesterday that... Uh, Keeping yourself in love will involve commitment. Commitment synonymous with love and, and trust. And if you don't commit yourself, you won't make much of a difference because circumstance can just take you out of what God had for you, the assignment. Frustration can take you out. Uh, devils can take you out. You know, not everything's a devil. It always really rubs me the wrong way when people, because they don't understand, they just say it's a devil. A lot of times it's flesh. Sometimes it's just you. Sometimes it's just circumstance. We need to overcome all of it. And as we know the will of God and we are committed because of the revelation of his character, we want to, we love him because of the revelation of the lordship of Jesus Christ and his authority. We submit ourselves to him because of the revelation of the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can do whatever he commands us to do. So we just proceed forward in that. We're talking about commitment. Um, many times the fruitfulness and making a difference has, is more of a long-term thing. It's not just, well, I said something once. I found with missions, what really makes a difference, you keep going back the same place every year. Sometimes people want to say, oh, I've been 55 different nations and all that one time. That person probably didn't really make much of a difference. But I found by experience and people telling me, you come back every year. We know your love for us. You come back, and, and what's in your spirit that God deposited in you, you continue to pour into them, and it continues to get stronger, and their expectation to hear from God increases because he's been using you for 25 years in India or whatever it might be. So their expectation, Dale alluded to, Dale or maybe Bob, I think it was Dale the other night, alluded to that in that you can have a meeting like this and have Mr. Big Name, who's always carrying an anointing, praise God for them. But when you have 
people who have an assignment to your life and your heart continues to receive from them, what happens, God will work through them in a greater way because it's been appointed by him. And the making of a difference just accelerates and increases. If we want to be entertained by people, then we look at who's making us laugh or whatever. But if we're looking at growing in Christ and hearing from him, who's been appointed? You know, God will appoint uh, you to a certain pastor or, or ministry that may be standing in that role. There's an appointment there. I don't really even have any say on that. Because where it speaks there in, in 1 Peter 5 about to the shepherds, and them shepherding the flock, the word, the one word in there is speaking of it as casting of lots. Or in other words, the Lord decides where you're to submit yourself. He decides the assignment. So someone comes to my church and, and, and they're saying, the Lord put me here. He sent me. I'm to submit to you. I don't really have any choice in the matter. Now, I need to deem them faithful before, faithful before I'm committing anything to them. I mean, that's on me to know. But it's up to the Lord to place people in assignments of relationship. We want to learn to look for the assignments of a relationship, which sometimes we refer to as divine appointments. I live my life by those things. God sets up a relationship. I'm, I'm going to be committed to that. And because every human being has flesh, it's going to involve some flesh. I'm going to have to be long-suffering and bear with them and hope they'll bear with me. Amen. Well, making a difference. We were talking about commitment yesterday. And, and there is a long-term element. Some people want to just flit around, not be real committed, because then not much is required of them. A lot of people like to just go into a big church because nobody knows who they are. They won't have any responsibility. And it is the epitome of selfishness where, well, I'll go in and get a blessing and try and sneak out before anybody knows. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to be in a big church, but I'm saying some people, that's purely the reason they go. I'm not accountable. I don't have to be responsible Oh, there's enough money here to pay people to do what needs to be done. They don't need me to deny myself and serve in the nursery. They don't need me to, to, to take time in intercessory prayer. They don't need me. I just come get blessed and go home. Go my way. But when you live by assignment in relationship, you'll understand there is a commitment involved. There is a sowing of your life which is going to determine the degree you can even grow. Because your growth is not just about hearing the word. That's where it begins. But then also the sowing of your life. That's why you need to be able to get behind the vision that the senior leader has put forth in a local church. Because your growth is going to hinge on you giving into it. You sowing your life into it. Amen. <laughs> I'm just reviewing here. What I want to get into the rest of my time today, another concept here in making a difference. And it really goes with what uh, Apostle Dale was sharing. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3 for a moment. And verse 10 says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Timothy, you've also known all the persecution, the afflictions that came, but the Lord delivered me out of them all. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In other words, the enemy is going to try to stop the advance of the word of God through your life, uh, bringing increase to the kingdom of God. Evil men, seducers, will wax, wax worse and worse. So think it not strange that people get worse and worse. Think it not strange, Peter said, concerning the fiery trial that you're going to enter into. 
Don't think it's strange. A lot of people, they react, oh, what's going on? Oh, this is terrible. No, that's normal. You're living in the kingdom. The kingdom of darkness is going to be doing all that it can to try to stop and to steal the glory of God from being released through your life. But continue in the things you learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you learned them. And in addition to that, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. He goes on talking about the Scripture being profitable for doctrine, for reproof, or to bring conviction in your spirits. The same word. For correction. Some people don't want anybody to correct them. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfect or mature, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished to all good works. We see here what Brother Dale's been sharing is that that growth will come by the word, but it's also going to come by what you're learning from the life of someone else. And if God's assigned someone to your life, we need to value that and commit that, especially if they're, uh, it's more so they're assigned to impart something to you. Learn all you can. One of the things that I know Dale and I love to do, and I'm sure many, many the rest of you do, I like to learn from the lives of others, so therefore I like to read books. I like to read biographies. Oh, it's a good investment to me to spend whatever, $15. I don't know what books cost anymore. Fifteen dollars to take an hour or two of my time, and I get one thing out of that. Seeing that in their life. Learn to look for what God has done in others and draw from them. You know, you've heard the expression, it's not wise to try and reinvent the wheel. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't have to learn it all on your own. Your, your, your growth will be accelerated as you can receive from others what maybe took them a lifetime to learn and you pick it up in 15 minutes or five days or two years of your life, whatever the time frame, that, that's irrelevant to it. So Paul says, you've known my doctrine, my manner of life. That's what I want to focus on the rest of this time, our manner of life how we live our life, the example of how we live. You know, did you ever hear the expression, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. We need to consider what are people seeing when they see us. So we can speak words of holiness and great swelling words and walk around as an angry man and the neighbor sees the angry man, and in his mind, that's who you are. And you wonder why he didn't want to listen to you. There are many times the Holy Ghost will stop me. Because you cannot allow the thought that just entered your mind to manifest in actions because you're going to undermine and ruin your testimony and 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 cut off the fact that someone could possibly receive from you at another time. We really have to learn to wait and be patient, looking for the window to open, and then be willing to take the time and you pour it in when that window cracks open. You just don't know. That's one of the secrets to successful ministry. People that are somewhat full of themselves think they can just go and bulldoze on and well, I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to tell you. I... People don't want to hear that fact. You actually shut it down and shut it off when you handle yourself like that. The wise man can wait. You wait for the opportunity. And boy, when they ask why, then you pour it out. Our second son was one of those kids. He wanted to understand the reason why. Maybe he got that from me. I don't know. But when he was a little boy, you'd share something, state something. Why, Dad? And he wasn't challenging authority. Some kids are like challenging authority with that. He just wanted to understand. Now, as a teacher, oh, I loved it. It's glorious. 
Because he could ask me the reason why, and I could go on for an hour. Sometimes that, your strength can be your inherent, have an inherent weakness. Someone as a teacher can talk too much, but we're explaining. <laughs> oh, my. So with every answer I gave, three more questions would pop up. He'd wear me out, I'd have to say, after like an hour or so of this. Okay, that's enough for now. There's not many people ever can do that with me. I mean, usually I, you ask me a question, you just push my button, you hit the on button. And I'll go to you say, time's up. But the person who keeps asking questions, they might wear me out then. I wear myself out. It's like, all right, it's time to go cut the grass. We need to do something else here. Teaching time will continue tomorrow. <laughs> oh, mercy. Well, Paul said to Timothy, you, you know how I live. Your example is the most powerful thing in making a difference. Because people might not hear you, but they're seeing how you live. And over time, not just in a singular moment, but over time, they will notice the consistency of your life and it will speak to them. It's in that consistency. A wise, a person with even a little common sense is not going to follow someone that's inconsistent. But they see the consistency and they begin to realize, well, this person, he's always joyful. Or he's always whatever. The manner of life. Now, that being said, I want to go to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we tend to refer to as the, per, the first pastor's conference. So Paul's traveling back from his missions trip, heading back to Jerusalem, and he has it in his heart. There's some things he wants to pour into the church of Ephesus. So he stops at an island along the way, sends word to Ephesus, and the elders, the leaders, the pastors, they came to him. Now, in a way, you could think, wouldn't it have been easier for one man to travel out of his way to, to the people of a city? But Paul uh, was on his way to Jerusalem, and he puts the word out, for the believers and the mature ones, the leaders of that city to come to him. You know what? They did. They did. Why did they do that? Because the apostle Paul made a difference in their life. He impacted their life. So they were willing to go out of their way to sit under him and hear him one more time. Not knowing it's going to be the last time. They responded. I remember in, I think it was uh, towards the end of 2001, it was, yeah, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Brother Ed Cole, who had a great impact on my life. Uh, Brother Ed Cole was going to be having his uh, annual, the big men's meeting down in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Holy Ghost spoke to me. You need to go there. It's the last time you're going to get to hear him. So I, I went. A few men with my church went with me, went down there, sat under his ministry, and he died about six months later, went to be with the Lord. You, you never really know when you're not going to see someone again. I mean, people pass on and so forth, or someone might move to the other side of the world. But we need to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. If someone's made an impact in your life, you go out of your way to them. Dale mentioned the other night, the discipler isn't pursuing the disciplee. If you're going to be discipled, you need to pursue. In fact, if you won't make an effort to go after the word, you're not going to receive much anyway. 
I'll give you an example of that in the life of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. After he was ministering healing and deliverance, he goes up a mountain. And those who wanted to be discipled followed him up a mountain. Now, mountains aren't like a, a little hike. It's, you're not just like going down the street. He didn't make it easy on them. Something was required of them, which their faithfulness was simply to pursue him. If people aren't willing to invest themselves a little bit, they're not going to get much. I won't say they won't get anything, but they won't get much. So those who are hungry are willing to hike up that mountain knowing there's no McDonald's up there. There's no hotel up there. They don't know how long he's going to be. He's already did stuff like that where they're out there three days, there's no food. And the people are just so hungry, they're just taking it all in. You know, we have things rather easy here. There's food and water everywhere. I mean, you know, we, we have it a lot easier. But sometimes, some parts of the world, they have to really put an effort to go. There's places we'll go in India, out remote places. And whoever came, they walked <laughs> for miles in a hot sun because they heard the word of God is going to be shared. And if you keep going back, they know who you are. They'll pay a price to get there. Selah, think about that, to find Acts 20. So they, they, they made an effort, the whole leaders of the city, to come to where Paul's passing by. We also see, see the degree of his impact at the end of the chapter when he told them, you're not going to see me again, this is my last time. And they wept, they were sorrowful. Because that which was of great benefit, Paul's life, is coming to an end. Now, God doesn't come to an end in our life. People do. You, you never know how long someone will be in your life. You don't know that. When I go to another country, I've God-ordained relationships. I don't know if I'll be back. That country could close. It, it could close for me. You know, I've had places that I've gone at times and have great relationships and the, the senior leader go on to be with the Lord and it, and it changed. So you, you know, we assume so much. Oh, the pastor will always be there or whatever. The meeting like this will always be there. Well, I'm expecting it to be here next year and, you know, ongoing. But we should not assume things like that. We need to treasure the thing that God has for us. Uh, don't allow it to become familiar or the sin of familiarity. Oh, well, you know, do I want to go to the Armada Landmark? Well, I know what it's going to be like. Well, I could get the tape, but you don't. Well, I could listen online. But when we realize there's an appointed time, it's at that moment of time what's going to be said for you then. And we need to cherish things like that. Well, they, they paid the price to get to where Paul was. They wept when they knew this is the last time. And there's some, some tremendous things, but there's something I want to focus on uh, further down the chapter. I'll be in verse 32. And now, brethren, uh, Paul's going to share his last words. His last words. Your last words... If you're a very deep person, will always be the most important. You know, if I was going to go away for like two weeks on a missions trip, I would tell my sons, well, "Take care of your mom, watch out for her, be obedient." You know, you want to, what's usually your last word? I love you. I hope you all do that when you leave. <laughs> That's what I do because I want to communicate. The most important things, because I'm separating, moving out, in a sense, to another place. So what you'll tend to do is your most important things to you, you're going to share right then. The person doesn't think about things. I mean, don't forget to take out the garbage. You know, who cares if you take out the garbage? I want you to know I, I love you when I leave you. <laughs> oh, my. 
Now, brethren, I commend you to God. It's the same word in the Greek, commit. When we were looking at words translated commit in the English, he's saying, I'm committing you to God and the word of his grace. He's going to share two things that were the most important thing. And it's how he lived his life. He's summing up how he lived his life with two things here. That's what they needed to remember above everything else. The first one is, I'm entrusting that the word of God deposited in you can build you up and position you to receive the inheritance Jesus Christ purchased for you. Now, when you're going away and not going to see someone anymore, and those of you that are parents, you understand what I'm saying, what I'm about to say here. And you have kids. You want them to be taken care of. You want them to be protected and prosper and blessed. And people can easily pick up care and worry about those things. But there's one reason you don't have to worry about whoever you've been parted into, especially with children. Them stepping out on their own or you having to go do something else is that if the word of God's been put in them, that's able to build them up. That's able to uh, position them to receive whatever they need. I remember when our younger son joined the army. This was over 10 years ago. And we were blindsided. He came and told us, you know, he, he did like a little road trip, was seeking the Lord. Felt God told him, you need to serve the country. You need to enlist in the army. We didn't see it coming. We were shocked. It's probably just as good because maybe we would have tried to talk him out of it before he even knew it, heard from God he was to do it. Sometimes better you don't know certain things because you might get in the way. So we, you know, we were like shocked. And... Uh, after seeking the Lord, we had to witness. We know this was the right thing. So he goes off, boot camp, advanced training, Iraq. And there's a release that you need to do in faith. Now, some people, they're not close to their kids. I mean, don't even enter their mind. I'm doing my thing. But if you have a close relationship, you should be concerned about them. But the word of God that was deposited will build them up and position them for protection. So he's on a base in Texas before he's going to go to Iraq. When the nutcase Muslim captain killed 12, 13 men. So, you know, it came over the news. There was this attack on in Fort Hood. We, that's where he was. No communications in or out for like an hour or so. Everything was locked down. We find out later, find out later, he was supposed to be in the room where it happened at that moment. At the last moment, a sergeant said, well, go over here. One of the young men that was killed, he was witnessing to the night before. Did that young man accept Jesus or go into hell? Well, we don't know. But God positioned him to witness to one of the young men that was killed. Now, you think one of the largest army bases in the United States of America would be one of the safest places in the world. The will of God's the safe place. The will of God. My friend is a missionary in Columbia, South America, and some of you have heard me tell this before, it bears repetition. Randy McMillan in uh, Cali, Columbia, and it was one of the most dangerous places, uh, 
three large cities of Colombia had the highest murder rate per capita of every city in the world back in those days. And uh, assassins were sent to, and were killing uh, pastors, government people, and so forth. They were sent to kill him a few times at the church during service, sent to kill him at home, and so forth. One of his best friends was killed and murdered on the way to a pastor's meeting. And Brother Randy would have a, a camera with him and lied. And he takes pictures. His friend's laying there in the street bleeding out. Faxed it to me. It's back in the old days. Faxed. But uh, I, I called him. I called him check up on him. I said, what are you going to do, Brother Randy? And he said, I feel safer in the will of God than in a safe place. And the will of God is where the protection, the deliverance, and all that, that's always there. You could be in a safe place here in this country outside of the will of God and get yourself killed. That's a dangerous place, outside of the will of God. Someone needed to hear that. So anyway, God would miraculously bring deliverance to Brother Randy and his wife. I could tell a bunch of stories where they just miraculously, supernaturally delivered from people assigned to kill them. I won't get into that. It's not the point of this message. My point, though, is the Word of God will build you up and strengthen you and position you for all that you need to receive from Jesus Christ and all that He shed His blood for concerning your life. So therefore, as we live a life abiding in the Word, we do not need to fear the future. We do not need to fear what's going to happen because we'll have what we need in Jesus. So we are to live our life abiding in His Word, hearing it, receiving it, doing it. And I felt impressed to share this. And Dale and I were talking some that there's a younger generation that didn't grow up hearing what we used to hear all the time. You know, the, the old guys like uh, like us, and Bob, Sharon, and not that you're old, Sharon. I shouldn't include you. You'll never say that about a lady. Okay. I don't have any problem. Like I welcome that life in in the Lord. You live in the Lord. It gets better as you get older. We go from glory to glory. The world, their glory days when they're like 20 years old. In the spirit, it gets more glorious the older you get because you've got more of him, or you should anyway. So anyway, back in the day, we were we used to hear all the time, the word, 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 the word. And Dale and I were talking, we, we don't know if the younger generation, you know, they, they didn't necessarily grow up hearing that like we did. So when, when we were sharing this, I thought to myself, well, that's already built into one of the messages I want to share. And Paul was saying, I'm committing you to the word. I believe the word put in you will, will do whatever needs to be done. So there's no reason to be afraid of anything. Many people live under this cloud of the fear of the future. I welcome the future with its unknowns, the fear of the unknown. And they try to figure everything out. If you live like that, you won't be able to be having God reveal much to you because you'll try and figure out, you'll add your thoughts to it. Learn not to add your thoughts to the things that God would say about your life. Just release faith, obey Him. Just keep moving forward. <laughs> Oh, yeah, committing to the Word. I'm going to make a mention of something. Over the last uh, month, maybe it's like five weeks ago, I went through a little bit of a health crisis. Okay. And I, I was uh, getting weaker, getting weaker, getting weaker, fell, whacked my head, wondered if I had a concussion, Getting so weak, I couldn't even pull myself up out of bed to go to the bathroom. My wife was having to pull me up. You know, when you're committed to someone, you do what you have to do. 
in some situation, caregivers expend a lot. You know, you hear situations, you know, someone's caregiving, pray for them. Because they probably need it even more than the person who's you know, afflicted. Well, anyway, it, generally, I, I won't. Like, to me, I, I live my life in purpose, and I don't have time messing around running to doctors and all of that. So I have to be almost like whack dead. And it's like, maybe I better check this out. And I don't say that to encourage you to be that way. That's just how I tend to be to a fault. So finally, maybe I better go to the hospital. <laughs> I finally open to consider that might be what I should do. And so I did, and they did a brain scan. My brain wasn't damaged. X-ray, my bones aren't broken. Praise God. Check my blood. Oh, my goodness. The sugar and blood pressure all through the roof. I was in stroke heart attack territory. And sometimes there's some things going on, and it's, you, know, you go to get check something out, and you find that there's a problem here. So that worked for good in that, okay, I find there's a problem. I can make some corrections here because I live in purpose. My life's for the will of God. When, when the work's done, then beam me up, Scotty. I mean, take me up, Father. It's, I'm be happy to go. However, you see, the work of God, His planned work for your life dictates how long you need to live on this earth. Not, well, I'm going to latch on to some promise and try to live out worldly pleasure as long as I can. It's wrong thinking. Jesus said, the work's done, it's time to go. He's only 33. Same with John the Baptist. The work was done. I have a lot of work to do yet. So therefore, I'm lying in that hospital thinking about, I must be healed in the name of Jesus. Because I need a healthy body to go and, and complete what you've given to me to do. And there is a place of faith in that. Right there. I am living in purpose. My whole life's for the purpose of God. Therefore, I am releasing faith. Yeah, yeah, I mean, promises. You know the redemptive work of Christ and all that. But there's a place of strength. When you're living in purpose, you can believe for whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to keep pressing on. I mean, Apostle Paul was stoned to death once. He was raised up. Because <laughs> he had a work to do. Well, anyway, I mean, I, I, was, I couldn't even walk. But the Word. You see, I live my life like this in the Word. Reading the Word, meditating the Word, speaking the Word, worshiping God through His Word, praying the Word. So therefore, when you encounter something, you're not moved. I will be healed in the name of Jesus. I will get up. I will not. You know, there, there's no destiny change here. Because the Word's strong in you. But we have to live our life. Our life's about the Word first. And then we can proceed. So whatever it takes. I mean, I, I thought of this already. If the engines fall off the airplane, angels will be my engine. This plane is going to reach destination because it's the purpose and plan of God. I determined that before I got on. And we will return in the name of Jesus. Whatever it takes. You see, that's a, a foundation for miracles in your life. It's committing it all to the, the purpose and will of God. We go on down here and he speaks, I, I didn't covet your money, your gold. Uh, which, which, by the way, it's mentioned. I can honestly say, going through all that stuff, no fear. You need to find out what 
is actually at the root of things. You deal with that and release faith relative to that. I need to fit, kind of finish the story there so you're just not left hanging. You know, in a hospital and say, well, you're a diabetic. Well, it looked that way. But the reality, and God showed me, the reality was I had an issue with my kidneys because a couple months before, my dog decided to attack a truck coming down the street. I had her on a leash. She's a beast. <laughs> that truck's a threat. We're going to war. And she bolted him. She's still a pup. She bolted, jerked my hip out of joint. I had so much pain. I max dosed on ibuprofen, which will damage your kidneys. And there was a point the Holy Ghost said, you need to stop taking that ibuprofen. But, you know, when you're in extreme pain, you have to function. It's okay to take a painkiller. But find out what's wrong. Believe God for healing. But still function. I mean, I still have things to do. So I caused that problem. It wasn't the devil. Stop glorifying the devil all the time. I mean, if he is involved in something, rebuke him, cast him out, and be done with it. But a lot of times, it's things that we're doing. And sometimes it's work of the flesh, or it could be somebody else doing something. Well, anyway, the Holy Ghost showed me. He wants to show you things about you. Don't be telling me he's showing you something about me if you're not having him show you something about you. There's a lot of people out there running around. I call them wannabe prophets. They want to be viewed spiritual. They think God's shown about everybody else. And you can see they can't even hear from God about their marriage or their kids. Doing dumb stuff. The, revel the, the, the showing, the revealing things by the Spirit, he he'll deal first with you. You learn to hear him for you, then maybe... Maybe he'll speak to you about somebody else. I don't even look for that. There's times he does that in visions. There's times he's warned me about things with other people's lives. And he's had, and he sent me to them. Well, I'm not looking for that. I'm not even really looking for things about me. I just look for him. This is a little secret here. When I read the Bible, I'm not looking for new revelation. I'm looking to see the Jesus I know. I look to see him because the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual to spiritual. If I look to see him, he can reveal something new to me. If my heart's moving in love and in faith, he can reveal something about the future or about someone else and I won't mess it up. I won't add my opinion. I won't do something to, to in any way damage what he wants to do. Say law, that's for somebody else. Anyway, I'm proceeding up to what I really want to get to here. He said, I've showed you all things, verse 35, how so laboring ye ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Are you sure you believe that? You really sure? Because the thing you see having greater value is what you will pursue in your life. Many people just pursue getting more for themselves. And sometimes you need to pursue the Lord to receive inheritance. You really believe it. If we really believe that the greater thing is in the giving, then our pursuit becomes we're always looking how I can give versus what I can get. And Paul's saying, this is how I showed you I live like this. Always looking at how I can give, how I can bless. You've seen it. The elders of Ephesus, you've seen this. I remind you what Jesus said, more blessed to give than to receive. That's how I live my life. So the two things that we live our life 
abiding in his word. We live our life as the life of a giver, always giving out, which is love. The criteria of love is giving. God so loved, he gave. The more we enter into knowing the love of God, you just give, give, give your life. There are many believers who know about things. They can quote scriptures and so forth, but they actually live rather selfishly. Always thinking about, well, I'm going to do this for fun. I'm going to do that for fun. Oh, this will be pleasure here and pleasure there. That's a life that's still governed by self. It's rather childish. But the giving life is always looking, how can I give? How can I bless? What you have to give might be a word. What you have to give might be encouragement. Sometimes it's as simple as a smile. It may be money. You hear the word give. Ding, ding. The word money always comes into our mind. It shouldn't be that way. We give of what we have. Uh, Peter said, such as I have, give unto thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So as we continue to increase and grow and have increased in life, you have more to give. I remember there was a woman once said, why is it some people, you always want more and more? Well, if you're a giver, you want more, so there's more you can give. Whether it's the wisdom of God or whether it's money or whatever it might be, you want more so you can give. So we continue to pursue when we believe the greater life or the joy of the Lord. The greater joy of the Lord is in that life of giving, which is love. Love's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. If we believe that, then we're looking to continue to grow. We get into the word, oh, Lord, I just want to see you. Oh, I have expectation of increase of wisdom. And understanding and knowledge because your Holy Spirit does those things. <laughs> oh, my. So you want to be a giver, huh? It is a mindset. A mindset. How can I give? How can I bless? I'm going to use my wife as an example. Something made such an impression on me. And that was... Uh, the property where we live, we bought 21 years ago. And initially it was like bare ground, and, and I start planning out. I want to plant this and that, and I planted some apple trees and some peach trees. And I was a little sad when I found out it's going to take five years to get any fruit off of those trees. Because I wanted some instant fruit. So you, you plant tomatoes or something if you want that. But sometimes the fruitfulness of our life is going to be some years down the road. When you're investing in children, it's years down the road. We, you know, we've had a school, Christian school, and you, you look at years pouring into and the fruitfulness in those who choose to follow on with the Lord and their growth. One of the advantages of pastoring the same place for 40 years is you get to experience having watched people grow up in Christ as well as children grow up in the church and come to know God and mature. And anybody in experience, you see these young ladies coming down the aisle, you're going to marry them, and you did their baby dedication. You did their water baptism. You taught them in school. And there's so many times I could hardly take it. I'd be standing there. And it took all I could to not break down weeping because I see this young lady coming down the aisle. And I'm remembering that her life. And you see, we're in, we're in a work together. Whether you're ministering in the nursery or in preschool or whatever, together we're doing this. We're sowing in. There is a long-term fruitfulness if you'll stay committed someplace. But if you're always just flitting around, you're just looking at what happens right now. The life of a giver. So anyway, we plant these apple trees, peach trees. It's like five years later, just like he said. <laughs> and this peach, these two peach trees, I mean, they were loaded. They were loaded with peaches. And I'm going down there and I'm harvesting the peaches, carrying them back up to the house. So I make a few trips up and down. I come in the basement. There's Donna on the floor, 
She has all these baskets. I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm picking out the best ones to give away. And she knows you know, this basket's going to this neighbor, and this one's going to her sister, and it's going to somebody at church, and all this and that. So we have all these baskets. She's picking all the good ones out to give away. And for a brief moment, the thought hit my mind, well, are you saving any for us? This is our first harvest here. But see, she's a giver. Her immediate response was, I'll pick out the best ones and give them away. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> and that's what happens when you're living like that. You're always thinking like that. How can I bless you? How can I bless you? How can I bless you? And sometimes as, as people live that way, that's not what in the Christian world people hail as greatness. But in the eyes of the Father, he says, being just like my son Jesus. That's just how he showed him to be. Living his whole life to give it all away. So here we are. Paul's saying, live your life in the word. And live the life of a giver. I showed you that. I showed you how to, that's how I lived with you. His last words, they're never going to see him again. They commit themselves to go because he made a difference in their life. He reminds them of how he lived. Now that being said, I want to go to 2 Corinthians 9 and, and close here, show you something very important. In 2 Corinthians 9, you've heard this taught a lot. At verse 9, he, he quotes that the from Psalm, I think it's 112, the man that fears the Lord gives to the poor, his righteousness continues. We want fruit that remains or continues. Down at verse 12, he says, the administration, he's talking about the ministry of giving, the life of giving, the administration of this service not only supplies the want or need of the saints, but is abundant by many thanksgivings to God. Or when you live the life of the giver, your life and your actions will cause others to praise and glorify and thank God. Now, heaven's all about a people being there that have a revelation of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who are giving glory and praise to God. Our testimony lives on giving praise to God. And when you have the mind of heaven... It's your passion, it's your desire to want to glorify Him. Therefore, the highlight of your life ought to be when the church gathers because the corporate anointing makes it even stronger. It's an increase even above you personally. Oh, I love Sunday morning. When I go on a missions trip and all I can do is sing in tongues because I hear it and... Uh, some other language, it scrambles my brain. I can't even think of a single word. I know the song, we sing it all the time. I can't think of a single word. But I love to come home and be in my home church where he's called me with the people he's called me with in the place he's called me to, to glorify him. Oh, it's glorious. It's completely beyond me how people can just skip church or be okay not going for a year. I, I can't fathom it. They don't have the revelation. Hopefully that's not you. If it is, pray that God open your eyes to, to understand this. We exist for the glory of God, for the praise of Him. If you want to go to heaven and you don't like entering into worship, praise Him. I mean, you're not going to be very happy there. But the alternative is not very good. It's heaven or hell. There's nothing else. Well, when we minister to those who are desperate in need, there's something happens. You trigger more praise. So I made mention, like a month ago, I was in a place I was helpless. I couldn't do anything for myself. I was helpless. Every human being hates being in that place. 
you are vulnerable. But in that time, there was a greater revelation of the Father's heart came to me. Because the Word shows us that He is touched by the poor or the helpless, widow, orphan, those who are infirm, whatever it might be. And that if someone is taking advantage of such people, which Israel did that at times, and that's why He judged them. One of the reasons why He judged them. Because they had no compassion for the helpless. In the Greek, there are two words translated the English word poor. One means you're working, but you don't have enough. And the other means you're helpless. And if we ever lose a heart for those that are helpless, we're in trouble. Our heart's getting hard. We don't even know it. So anyway, this increased for me. That heart for the helpless. This is what he did. And the life of the giver, if we live the life of the giver, you are very sensitive to all those around you. And there's a, a place there, just that I experienced, of being saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's a glass of water. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here, let me pull you up out of bed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those who are looking to God, who are in a place of helplessness, when they see the hand of God reaching to them, it causes a, a praise to God. Those who just want to exploit people and they don't care, not really looking to God, he's not necessarily telling you to, to give to them. But the need can cause the window of the soul to open. There's an appreciation. And our heart just says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Paul's saying, his last words, is how I lived. It's how I want you to live. The last thing I want you to remember, stay on my word. It'll take you through whatever. And live the life of a giver. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know you got to unplug him, that's all. I mean, the... That coffee grinder will just keep grinding unless you unplug it. Hey, Amen. That's good stuff, too. Praise the Lord. Are you blessed? Yeah. Hallelujah. we got some more coming up for you, so let's take a five-minute break and uh, get out, stretch a little bit, move around a little bit, love on somebody, and we'll be back 